So we're going to pray for our offering, and then we're going to get into the word of God, which is why we are here. So let's bow our heads and heart, saints. Uh, Father of eternity, uh, once again, Lord, great and awesome is your name. And we just thank you for this time and the grace you have showered us with in time, treasure, and talent. And Lord, we uh, give this back to you, Lord, for, from what you have first given to us. And we just pray, O oh Lord, that you would make all grace abound, uh, that you would do exceedingly and abundantly beyond what we can ask or think with these resources that you have given to us. Further your kingdom, Lord, minister to those who are in need, and of course, Lord, uh, to spread uh, and share the most precious message, and that's the gospel, that, Lord, you do not come to destroy our lives, but to save, to seek and save that which is lost. So we're grateful, Lord, and we commit these things to your trust. In Jesus' holy name we pray, and the saints said, amen. All right, open up your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. I tell the youth, a proverb a day keeps the foolishness away. Proverbs is a book of what, what wisdom, and Proverbs was written by mainly who? Who remembers? So, thank you. Praise God. I'm going to ask you guys a question. I need interaction, or it's going it's to be a, a long night, all right? So I'm ask questions. I need, I need some interaction. Make sure you guys are not melting or freezing, all right? I need to know the temperature is balanced. I know that by your interaction. So King Solomon, who was the son of who? King David. Praise God. We know a little bit, all right? So most of them written by King Solomon, and as you guys know, he was mainly in the beginning of his life known for his wisdom. And if you remember, I believe in 1 Kings, God asked Solomon and said, ask me of anything and I'll give it to you. Now, most of us would have asked for lower gas prices, right? I mean, we would have asked for a uh, million dollars or you know, all this wealth and power and prestige, but Solomon just simply just asked, Lord, give me a discerning heart, wisdom, so that I may govern your people. And so the Bible says God gave him more wisdom than any other king that ever existed or will exist, of course, outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so proverb, literally, it's a, it's a compound word, and the proverb means to rule or to govern. And so these are wise sayings that we can use to rule or govern our lives. What's, what we need to know about proverbs when we read it, it uses a, a Hebrew literary device called parallelism. And so if you read Proverbs, you'll see things like, as a door turns on his hinges, so a lazy man turns on his bed, right? That's what we call um, uh, comparison parallelism, where you have one thought and then you compare it to another thought. So they rhyme thoughts. Another one we see is climactic parallelism, where if trust in the Lord with all of your heart, lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge him. It just keeps adding on to another. And so we see those in the Proverbs. But the main theme of Proverbs is wisdom versus folly, diligence versus laziness, and then the umbrella is the fear of the Lord. Have you guys heard of the fear of the Lord? Okay, amen, right? Fear of the Lord. And so the fear of the Lord is not where we're in dread of God, where, oh no, the Lord's there, I don't want to be there, right? That's, that's not a healthy fear of the Lord, right? But it's also not like, well, he's my homie, God's my homie. It's not that either. It's a balance, and so I like to say the fear of the Lord is a reverential submission to the Lord that leads to a life of obedience, love, and worship. That is the fear of the Lord. And the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. Now, why, why do you need it? We look at some tough things in Scripture. If you guys remember, Nahab and Abihu in the book of Leviticus offer strange fire, dragged them in out of their dead, just like that. 
And some will say, oh, that's a wrathful God. I don't want to be around him. I don't want to be around him. I guarantee you nobody offered strange fire for a while on the altar, right? I guarantee they said, no, no, no. We saw what happened to those guys. And the Bible says the fear of the Lord went around everyone who was watching. And then we see, well, that's the Old Testament God. Okay, let's go to New Testament then. Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, right? They lied against the Holy Spirit, dragged them dead out of the worship service, right? What happened? The Bible says, then the fear of God fell upon all the people, and they were holy and reverent. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and understanding. That's the beginning of wisdom. So you need the fear of the Lord. Saints, remember when we operate outside of the wisdom of God, I like to tell people, you take the whiz out of wisdom and all you have left is dumb, okay? Keep the whiz and wisdom. That's Jesus. Keep the whiz and wisdom. Our New Testament tells us that Christ is the wisdom of God and that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Wisdom is the mind of Christ and the life of the believer. Non-believers can't have godly wisdom. They need to be born again. They need to have the Holy Spirit. So I would say Proverbs is, is like our owner's manual for life. Deals with every, every life situation you could think of in practical ways in every area of our life. But Proverbs, you have to understand, they're not necessarily promises, right? They're, they're not really thus saith the Lord, everything in there will happen if you do it that way. What they are, they're wise sayings of practical, experiential wisdom best practice for your life, inspired by the Holy Spirit, of course, written by, most of them by Solomon. All right, we'll briefly go over the outline, then we'll get into the word. So I tell the message, the path of the just. Wisdom is justified by her children. Saints, there's only two paths. There's the path of life and death. There's the path of good and evil. There's the path of righteousness and wickedness. There's the path of light and darkness, right? Don't be deceived. There's one path. There's one way. You do have a decision, and that's the fork in the road. And so all through Scripture, Jesus tells us about a straight gate that leads to life and a broad way that leads to destruction. And God told in Deuteronomy, Moses, he says, choose life, not death. And so outlined in here, we're going to see the path of the just. Point number one, knowing the word of God. Now, why do I need to know the word of God? Well, I can't obey what I don't know, right? <laughs> I don't know I didn't know what the word of God said, right? And Satan is banking on you not knowing because he knows it. And so he's going to try to deceive you. He's going to try to throw the word at you because he believes you don't know it well enough. We see that in Jesus in the wilderness, right? is he tempts him, and then he even tries to quote the word to the word, and it didn't work too well. Amen? That didn't work too well. And so, saints, we need to know the word of God so that we can obey it, not just hear it and go out in one ear and out the other. Secondly, trusting in God's providence. That is a big theological word. It's really not. Okay? It's a $5 word for to see beforehand, that God prepares the way beforehand because he knows all things, He's present at all times, and he's all-powerful. So we need to trust in the providence of God. And thirdly, obeying God's will, guarding our hearts. So we, it's one thing to know God's will, and then it's another thing to obey God's will. And so when you're walking in the path of the just, the right path is that you will know God's word and obey it. You will trust God's providence that he's already there before you are, 
And of course, you will know his will and obey. Amen, saints? All right. You guys got your Bibles open, chapter 4? All right. Warmed up? Okay. All right. Here, here what the text says. Here what the text says. Hear, my children, the instruction of a father, and give attention to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. NLT version reads it like this. My children, listen when your father corrects you. Pay attention and learn good judgment. For I am giving you good guidance. Don't turn away from my instructions. All through Proverbs, Solomon is constantly exhorting his children or his, or his child to be obedient to his instruction. So children, that means children of all ages, okay? In your house, doesn't matter. Old, young, baby, pacifier, or grown with a pacifier, right? You need, doesn't matter what age, you never stop being a child, and parents, you never stop being a parent. And God never stops being our father. So even when you grow from being a baby Christian to a mature Christian, you're still a child of God, and he's still your heavenly father. So even if you don't have kids or you're not married, those who we love, we always want to point them up, right? We always want to point them to the Lord Jesus Christ. But saints in the text, I want you to notice the prominent place of learning is in the home. The home is the epicenter of all godly learning and living, the home. And it's so easy to come out here for just a period of time, right? I'm up here for an hour, okay? I can put on an act up here for an hour, all right? If I see you, hey, I do it, right? I can smile and then walk away, okay? But when you go to my house or when we go to your home, that is going to be the true revelation of how you're living your life. Saints, one of the jobs of a parent is to be a filter to the home or of the home. I think about water filters. So water filters, main job is to keep impurities from getting in, into the, the water that you're drinking, right? Parents, we are filters to our home, and our job is to keep the particles of the corrupt world from entering into our kids, our spouses, and whatever is in our home. So our homes are our sanctuaries and our classroom saints, whether it's just you, a spouse, you, a spouse, and children, family members, whoever it may be, no matter who is there, I want to encourage you guys to let, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord be the language of your faith. May that be the foundation of your home. When Solomon says instruction, that word translates to discipline or correction. Now, let's be honest. We're in the house of the Lord. When we hear correction, who in here celebrates? No, we don't like that word. Correction? That means I was wrong. I don't want to admit I was wrong, right? But saints, correction is good. It's not, it's not a bad word. I know it's not a popular word for our homes today, saints. Nonetheless, the writer of Hebrews, as he quotes Job in Proverbs, says that discipline and correction is training in righteous living. He says that because God loves us, he disciplines us or corrects us so that we may be a partaker of his holiness. And so correction, the way we deal with correction reveals a lot about us. And so as Solomon's instructing his son, he's giving them instruction and correction. So we have this new gospel today that says, for God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son so you can do whatever you want, okay? That is not John 3.16. That is not the gospel, but saints, that's what's crept into our homes. But here's the reality. If we, as parents, do whatever pleases the child, we have surrendered our parental rights, and we've given them right over, on over to the kid, and we've swapped places with them, and we're now at the mercies of our children. Sorry, kids, if you're running the house, stop today, okay? Stop today. Parents, regain our houses back. Here's the truth. No one who is loved does whatever they want. People who are loved or cared for, they're protected, they're looked after, they have holy boundaries that keep them safe, healthy, and secure. Thus, it's the same with the Lord. God doesn't let us do whatever we want. That is destructive. That is not healthy or holy for us, saints. So Solomon says, give attention. That means give heed or hearken. Um, as I meet with, you guys know I, I'm, by God's grace, I've been privileged to be the campus pastor here. So there's lots of families here. And so I meet with families and students and staff and kids. And I often meet with parents about children. And oftentimes, children come in and they, they're very disobedient. What do you know, right? They don't listen. What do you know? And oftentimes the kids, and I'm face to face with these kids, and I see them just disrespecting their parents. They have no regard. And I'm constantly reminding them, hey, do you even know what the role of your parents are in the home? And they're like, well, yeah, basically do what I say. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Let, let's rewind the tape. Let's go to scripture, right? Do you know that godly parents are one of the greatest gifts to you as children? Is there actually a, a divine court of authority in, in the home to keep you safe and guide you in righteous living? And so consider your parents as an extension of God's love to you from heaven in your home. And when they see that, their mind just blows. I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't. Yeah, that's what the Bible says. You know what it tells your parents? To raise you up in the way of the Lord. And then it says, oh, children, obey your parents. God doesn't, doesn't take any side steps, Right? Everything God does is intentional, and he set up the home in an orderly fashion. That's why when homes are out of order, they rule with chaos, and God is not the author of chaos. For context, and those of you who take notes, Proverbs 15.5 says this, a fool despises his father's instruction, but he who receives correction is prudent. And then in verse 32 of Proverbs 15, it says this, he who ignores discipline despises himself, but whoever heeds correction gains understanding. Saints, any loving parent, loving spouse, will instruct their children in the word of the Lord. They're going to give them the word of God if they love them. Only foolish children ignore and despise correction and that to their own destruction, sadly. And we're seeing that today. Kids are doing whatever they want, however they want, Parents have accepted the false gospel of God died for me so I can do whatever I want. And then we see a new generation, the next generation that is literally living and walking in darkness, claiming it to be truth. And that's partly why our society is the way that it is. Calling good evil and evil good, we're seeing it right before our eyes. Well, what's a great example in scripture? Jesus. He says, not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus says in John 8 that I always do the things that please the Father, and everything I do I get from him. 
Saints, the definition of foolishness is to know the right thing and to not do it. To know what is right and not do it. That is foolishness. Saints, if we read through the Old Testament, we see this cycle in ancient Israel. Golden calf. The judges cycle. Our own lives. Solomon is telling us the root of destruction is simply not taking heed to the word of God. Verse 2, he says, For I give you good doctrine, do not forsake my law. He has to convince his son that what he's given him is good. Saints, how many times do you hear the word, you're like, eh, I, don't, I don't know about that, right? I, I don't really agree with that too much. Saints, the Bible says that God is good. Everything God makes is good. Everything God instructs is good. And so he has to quantify, what I'm giving you is good doctrine. Saints, for context and note takers, Proverbs 8, 6 through 9 says this. Listen, for I will speak of excellent things, and from the opening of my lips will come right things. For from my mouth will speak truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are with righteousness. Nothing crooked or perverse is in them. Good doctrine means valuable insights. Saints, anything that's valuable to us, we care for it and we protect it. All right? I'm going to give you an example. Any of you guys have your phones in here? Hold them up. How many don't have cases on them? Be honest. Raise your hand if you don't have a case on it. Is it a new phone? No? No, you're a two. All right. He doesn't have the, he doesn't have the newest one. Notice most of us in here have cases on our phones. Why? It's valuable. You don't want it to crack. It's, val- it's, it's valuable to you. Okay? Be honest. How many of you guys lock your cars? Valuable stuff, right? Okay? Things that are valuable to us, we protect, we cherish, and we cover. Solomon is telling his son, I'm giving you good doctrine. Protect it. Take heed to it. Don't just throw it aside. He said it's helpful, it's important. And he cautions them, cautions them not to forsake his law. Saints, he's not telling his son to rob a bank. He's not telling his son to go steal something. He's not telling him to go take a hit of the pipe or drink from the bottle. Constantly, parents, we have to convince our children that what we're telling them is good. And sometimes we have to do that because what about all the other voices that are paralleling our, our or that are against what God is telling us. What he's giving is good. Life in itself is good. Keep in mind, things that are important and useful come with strict safety instructions and are often dangerous if you use them or misuse them outside of its original purpose and intent. Life is so precious and valuable, Jesus says that what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Right? What would someone offer a compromise in exchange for their life? Solomon, as a good father, wants his son to heed it in the right way and not use it for evil. Example I think about is Alfred Nobel. You guys know heard of the Nobel Peace Prize? Okay. So originally, Alfred Nobel, he created the dynamite. You guys know dynamite, right? We think of dynamite and we think of what? Explosive and stuff blowing up, okay? Well, originally, that's not what the purpose of dynamite was. 
He created dynamite to build things to move rock and, and roads and get things out of the way to build buildings. However, like most of us do, took something that was created for good and used it for evil. Started blowing things up, killing people with dynamite. And so what Alfred Nobel did is he gave an incentive. He put $9 million into an account, and then he started paying people when they would use things for good. Okay, that's how we got the Nobel Peace Prize. St. Solomon is giving an incentive to use wisdom the right way. He's giving an incentive. There's a reward for obedience. It is not just something we throw to the side. There's value to it. It's when we think we're smarter than God or that we figured it out is when we reject instruction and knowledge. Note takers, Psalm 19, 7 and 8, regarding the law, here's what it says. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Saint Solomon is using covenantal language, the Torah, right? The first five books, and instructing his child. God's laws are good for us. And they actually equip us to enjoy that all that God has for us. Verse three, here's what he says. When I was my father's son, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother. Solomon is saying and reflecting back when he was a kid and when he was tender in the sight of his mother, he's talking about what his father gave him. In verse four, he says, he also taught me and said to me, let your heart retain my words, keep my commands and live. Parents, children, remember what you say. People remember our words. They remember the things that we repeat over and over. And so we have to ask what legacy of faith are we leaving for our children, our households, and even our friends? Often children will repeat the instructions that their parents gave to them to their kids when they have them. See, for me growing up, my grandma made it very clear. It's church and school, right? Those two things you're not forsaking. And at that point, I'm like, uh, I don't want to do that. My brother remembers, I don't want to do that. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was clockwork, church and school. And then I remember telling her, well, when I grow up, I'm not making my kids do none of that stuff, right? Here we are. <laughs> Here we are. I mean, exact same things. We're going to church and you're getting your education, right? And we're praying and we're reading the Bible. And, and I reflect back. The same thing I said I would never say and I would never do. I'm doing it. Because saints, at the time, I didn't understand the value of it. But my grandma was diligent to instill those things are important. She was giving me good doctrine, valuable insights. And so it was instilled in me. So then when I had children, I revert back to what the foundation was, the word that had been instilled in me from a young kid. And it was passed on. Parents, what legacy are we leaving for our kids? May we leave a legacy of faith and truth. And of course, Christmas is around the corner. Let's start with the truth about the birth of Jesus. Let's start about with what Christmas is really all about. 
See, most of us, you know, I grew up and, you know, we, we did. We celebrated Christmas and Santa Claus. I remember, you know, we, uh, my brothers, we would, uh, he remembers, my grand, grandma, we'd leave the cookies and milk for Santa, right? And we'd try to stay up to try to catch Santa coming down the chimney. And we'd make a little fort in the living room and we'd be behind the couch and we'd wait and we never could catch Santa. It was too slick, right? Never could catch him, but the milk was always gone. The cookie was always eaten, right? But reality was, it was fun. It was a tradition, but, but Christmas is about the birth of Jesus, right? It's about the birth of hope, is that if, if God did not come in human form, if he did not come into the bloodstream of humanity, meek and mild, lowly in a manger, if he did not come, saints, we would be of all hopeless. If if we didn't have the promise of hope from the prophecies of the Old Testament, Isaiah the prophet promised, right? For unto us a child is born. For unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That promise was made 700 years before the birth of Christ. And then God was so gracious to even give us a location. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, right? And the prophet Micah tells us, in that little town of Bethlehem, God cares about the details. Bethlehem, house of bread. So the bread of life was born in the house of bread so that we may have life and be sustained from the, li- the bread, the life that gives bread and bread that gives life, right? He cares about those details. Saints, let's share the real truth about the reason for the season. Let's, let's leave a legacy of truth in our homes. Saints, a virgin birth, it's important, right? I was, I was sitting today on the trampoline, or I think yesterday, with my, my, my five-year-old son and my eight-year-old daughter. I'm like, do you guys know why the virgin birth matters? Well, uh, yeah, well, Joseph, and you know, they weren't too sure, but I said, hey, let's, let's sit and talk about it. You know, the sin is passed through the bloodline of the Father, right? And so Jesus, from immaculate conception, was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, he's sinless. He, he did not, he escaped that. So when he was born into humanity, he did not have the sin nature that we have. And so he lived a sinless, perfect life, 100% God, 100% man. Meaning he felt everything that we feel of being human, but yet he was still the perfect, sinless Lamb of God. That is the truth, and it matters. We need to pass that legacy on to our children, saints. Or how about our identity, how we are created? We are not the byproduct of random, unprocessed bacteria, okay? That, that's not what the Bible teaches us. Saints, we, we are cherished, we're valued, and we're created in the image of God. It did not go from the infantile to the reptile to the crocodile to the Gentile. That did not happen, okay? It just didn't happen. I'm sorry. I know. But the Bible makes it very clear that we are created in the image of God, that before, he knew, before we were born, he knew us in the womb, that we were carefully knitted in our mother's womb, and that we were fearfully and wonderfully made. That is the legacy of truth we need to pass on to our children That's ultimately what Christmas is about, saints. Let's share that. On your outline, God's word is preserved from generation to generation. David is reflecting on how the word of God was passed down to him. And then he's now passing it down 
to his children. He's literally quoting the words of his father, and we're reading about it today. When he says in verse 4, he taught me and said to me, as Solomon repeats it, we go back to, again, covenantal language. What that means is he's reflecting on the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. That for ancient Israel was the gold. Kings had to memorize not a chapter, not a book, all five books. Kings had to memorize that. And so for context, Deuteronomy 4.9 says this, only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself lest you forget the things your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life and teach them to your children and your grandchildren. When he says, retain and remember my words in your mind, he says, guard and hide my law within you so that you may continue to live for the Lord. One of my personal favorites, I have a lot. The psalmist said in Psalm 119.11, which is King David, Solomon's father, I've hidden your word inside my heart that I may not sin against you. In the same psalm, how shall a young man cleanse his way? If you're wondering, by taking heed according to your word. Jesus, our King, our Lord, says in Matthew 7, Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. Saints, these are monumental, fundamental truths for the believer. They're not to be kept to yourself. They're to be passed on to the next generation. They're to be shared with all who will listen. No matter the storm in that parable Jesus gave, for the house that was built upon the rock, that house stood firm. And saints, the storm is coming. The purpose of remembering God's word is to obey it and apply it to our lives. One of the perils of ancient Israel saints is that they forsook the law of their God and fell into the calamity of their own destruction. They did not remember. They forgot. If you remember when they came out of Egypt, it wasn't very long before they were like, we got to go back to Egypt. There's cucumbers and leeks and onions. Not only did they forget how God delivered them out with the mighty hand, but they also forgot about the beatings and forced labor, okay? And they could not adequately worship God in Egypt, which is why he said, Pharaoh, let my people go so they can worship me and hold a feast in the wilderness. Saints, we cannot forget or let it slip. Saints, I pray our hearts will sing the song of the psalmist again, 119, King David. Verse 15 and 16 in Psalm 119 says this, I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. I will not forget your word. In verse five, he says this, get wisdom, get wisdom understanding, do not forget, nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will preserve you. Love her, and she will keep you. The NLT says this, get wisdom, develop good judgment. Don't forget my words or turn away from them. Don't turn your back on wisdom, 
for she will protect you. Love her, and she will guard you. Solomon's exhortation is to get wisdom. Go get it. Get understanding. The Hebrew word used here suggests a commercial transaction. You say, go buy it. Pay a price for it. It's worth it. Solomon's essentially saying it. Buy it. Pay the price. If you want to know God's truth and obey it, it's worth it. Later in Proverbs, it says in 23:23, buy the truth and sell it not. I find myself as a parent of teenage girls, constantly redirecting my kids to seek the Lord. And to be honest with you, I know at the end of the day that the Lord can shepherd my kids better than I ever could. And so now that they're teenagers, when they come to me with something that's gray area, right, and I'm trying to explain to them, here's the guideline, oh, I don't know what I'm talking about. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Right. I've only lived longer than you have. Right. I, I, I'm, I'm, God has only ordained me to be a, a pastor. So I have to know what this says and understand it. Okay. But take, right. Take it yourself. That's fine. But let me, let me tell you this. How about this? Why don't you just go pray and seek the Lord about it? Why don't you just ask God, you know what, Lord, is this, is this what your word says? Is this what I should do? Is this the decision I should make? And so what I do is I, I, I pawn them off to the Lord. Go seek God. Ask him if that's the decision you should make, or if maybe your dad might be right. Maybe your mom might be right. And then just wrestle with God and then come back and let me know what he says, okay? Now, saints, oftentimes, guess what happens? You don't hear from them. Crickets. They go, they go seek the Lord, and, and that's the last I hear about it, right? And I thank God for that because they go wrestle with God. And like Jacob, they don't walk the same anymore, right? Their mind changes on certain things. Solomon is telling his son, go wrestle with God. Find wisdom. Buy it. The word wisdom in the Hebrew is translated in many different ways. And specifically here, it means skill. Get skill. Skill what? Skill to make godly decisions in every area of your life. The mind of Christ. Old school, the bracelets. What would, you, what would Jesus do, right? Every decision you make, filter it through the wisdom and knowledge God. Saints, we see it poured out on the page. First, David longed for his children to have godly wisdom. Now Solomon longing for his children to have godly wisdom. The ability to know God's will, discern God's will, obey God's will for the right reason at the right time. When he says, do not forget nor turn away, I have to ask, how do we forget? How did the Israelites forget? You guys remember the signs and wonders? The, all, all the, how could we forget? In fact, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was known as the God who delivered them out of Pharaoh's hand. If you remember the book of Joshua, I think it was Rahab. She was like, yo, yo, yeah, we know who you guys are. We, 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 we heard about what your God did to Pharaoh and those kings. We heard about it. We know. But how did the Israelites forgive? How do we forget? It's very easy, saints. Simply do nothing. Simply know the word and don't apply it. Simply know the word and don't use it. Simply read the word and don't meditate on it. The old saying, if you don't use it, you lose it. 
Solomon does not want his children, and, and, and God does not want us to forget the word. He does not want us to let it slip. But oftentimes we do. Solomon now compares wisdom to a relationship with the woman. So see, when you, when you see this, saints, you got to understand. You see her, well, Jesus was a girl. Jesus is not a girl. He's not a female, okay? God, God, God is a woman. God was not a, God's not a woman, okay? I, I know sometimes we struggle, but he's using what we call, um, we call this personification. So Solomon is personifying wisdom as a woman because he's going to compare it to a relationship, he says that we get her, don't turn our back on her, and she will turn, in turn, protect us and guard us. He says, be faithful to her. What Solomon is saying, we need to be in a covenantal relationship with lady wisdom, which we know in the New Testament is Jesus. We know that Jesus is the wisdom of Jehovah God. So if you look at it, Solomon's saying, treat her like she was your mother, your sister, or your wife. If you guys remember the New Testament, the Bible says that we are the bride of Christ, that we're in a marriage with the Lord. He says, when we seek him, we will find him when we seek him with all our hearts. This picture of our relationship with the Lord, we're to be faithfully seeking after him, always keeping him on our minds and obeying our word. Heavenly principles for earthly living. That's what he's laying out for us here. When he says, do not forsake her and she will preserve you. Love her and she will keep you. Saints, do we love the Lord? Someone say, yes, absolutely. That's me. Yes, yes, yes. Well, it starts with obedience to his commands. Oh, that, about that. Um, yeah. Saints, do we even know him? You can't love someone you don't know. Can't value something or someone when you don't know what you have. Saints, the word of God reveals the God of the word. How can we obey something when we don't know it exists? Saints, God's word and his commands reveal his character. God's word and his commands reveal his character. So much that the law of Israel, they said that in Deuteronomy, what nation has a law so righteous and holy as the nation of Israel? Because God's law reflected his holy character. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, obey my commands. The one we love, saints, is the one who will control our lives. This is why Jesus said in that very tough truth in the Gospels, right? He who comes after me and loves father, mother, son, daughter, or even his own life more than me is not worthy of me. Why? Because the one you love the most will be in control of your life. Solomon wants Jesus, the Lord, to be the one who controls his son's life. Saints, we need to remember something, that God has given us everything for our construction not our destruction, okay? Construction is building up, okay? Not destruction. So everything that God gives us is good and right and holy and just. But if you use it the wrong way and if you ignore it, 
it will be to our own destruction. Some questions for us. What is our attitude towards the commandments of the Lord? Are they burdensome? Oh. Some teenagers would say, oh, they're lame. Are they a killjoy? Forgive others as Christ has forgiven us. Be angry, but don't sin. Do not lie, steal. Be content with what you have, but it's Christmas. I have to be content, the gifts. Consider this, saints, how much God loves us. His commands are a direct reflection of his love for us, such as a loving parent has rules and boundaries for their children. Not play on the freeway. Don't do backflips off the Empire State Building, right? Don't eat poisonous food, right? These are all things that reflect a loving parent in the home. If you're a parent here today and you don't have any rules in your home, it says a lot about you. And I don't say that to condemn you. I say that to exhort you, to warn you, is that the boundaries we set up for our children and the people that we love are a direct reflection of how much we love them or lack thereof. I love my children, and so we pray together. No phones at the dinner table. No electronics in rooms. We vet their friends and their entertainment. Why? Because we love them, and we know some of those things will destroy their relationships. We know some of those things will be a distraction and get in the way of their relationship with the Lord. For context, Proverbs 16, 16 for you note takers. How much better to acquire wisdom than gold? To gain understanding is more desirable than silver. Sadly, St. Solomon did just that later in his years. He ended up rejecting the wisdom of God. And if you guys remember, he got about 700 wives and concubines. No, 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 no. And then set up all these high altars in ancient Israel. And so when you read through the kings and you see these kings setting up high altars, Solomon started it. And probably didn't get a very good example from David, right? But you see how not only is the word of God passed down, but so are your ungodly practices passed down. And somebody's got to break the chain. So Solomon says this, verse 7, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and in all you're getting, get understanding. The NLT says this, Getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. Whatever else you do, develop good judgment. Solomon speaks much, much about wisdom. This is the very thing he asked for the Lord when he was given the opportunity for anything. So another question. I'm asking you guys a question. I'm going to do a lot of thinking tonight. All right? I'm going to do a lot of thinking. What is the most important thing in your life? The most important thing right now. Okay, let that filter. Think about it. Don't tell me. It's between you and the Lord. Would you then counsel others to make that the most important thing in their life? How has that most important thing impacted your life? Without it, how would your life be? Lastly, whatever it was, is it really all that important? Since God's people should place the highest value on our relationship with God. Matthew 6 and 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will fall 
in its proper perspective. Solomon says this principle, when he says principle thing, that means best, chief, foundation. He says understanding God's perspective and applying it to our lives is the most important and valuable thing. St. Elizabeth said that whatever we don't value, we minimize. And so you can just do an inventory right now. Things that are not valuable in your life, you don't really tend to it very, very much. If that's the word of God, if that's your relationship with God, then tonight you can change that. In fact, I encourage you to change that, is to make your relationship with God the most valuable thing. Proverbs 3 tells us that wisdom is a tree of life to all who grab hold of her. Saints, it's wisdom that will guide and guard all of our choices and decisions. Well, what would it guide and guard? How about what friends we make? How about our educational choices? How about our business choices? Our jobs? Our politics, saints? Our entertainment? Who we marry? How we bring up our children? It will decide what we believe and how we behave. Saints, so in the one of my favorite verses, Proverbs 4, 7, right? Get understanding. But here's what he says. In all thy getting, in all thy getting, practically sums up the lifestyle of billions of people. Endless pursuits of getting to result to a whole bunch of nothingness. Getting a new house, getting a new car, getting a new girlfriend, getting a new job, getting a new business. And I'm not saying those things are wrong or bad. What I'm saying is if they don't lead to a platform that honors and glorifies God, they end at a bunch of nothing. I think about that parable of the rich fool in in Luke. And he was a businessman, competent, skillful farmer. And then he's sitting up patting himself on the back. Yeah, I'm just, look at all this stuff I got. I got all this stuff. Like I'm going to build a bunch of barns and I'm going to store all my stuff here. And he was patting himself on the back. And he had an early early retirement plan. He did wonderful. It looked really, really good. And then what did Jesus call him? He said, you fool. What's wrong with you? Guess what? Your soul is required of you. You did a whole bunch of getting, but you didn't do any go. So you made all that provision to get, but not to go. It was Solomon, saints, who said, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Number our days, not our possessions. So he says the most important thing is to prepare for your departure. Where are you going to go when you die? That'll preach on Christmas, right? (laughs) Saints, at the end of the day, eternity lies in the balance. You're storing your treasures here on earth where moth and thieves and rust rust gets and break in and steal, or are you storing your treasures in heaven, right? Where it don't fade away, where it's incorruptible, But saints, how many times do we get into arguments and disputes and assumptions, misunderstanding simply because we did not search for understanding? So oftentimes, when I counsel people and I talk to people, it's important to ask the right questions. And so I want to encourage you guys tonight with some right questions. Here's some questions you can ask to get better understanding. One, can you help me understand? Two, what do you mean by that? 
What were you hoping to accomplish? Where did you hear that? Have you considered? What these questions do is they, they gain clarity. And what I've learned is clarity is kindness. When you guys are sharing your faith, the reason of hope that is within you, these are good questions to ask people. Okay, you're an atheist. You don't believe in God. Okay. Well, how do you believe we got here? Well, evolution. What do you mean by that? I, I want to understand better where you're coming from, right? I want to gain clarity. I need to understand how you believe that there was nothing and then there was something from nothing. Help me understand, right? I, 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 I want to know how we went from unprocessed bacteria to very complex intellectual human beings. How does that process work? Help me understand, right? Solomon says, in all thy getting, get an understanding. That's good wisdom, saints. It's something that we need to take to heart. Solomon says, in all our getting, in everything we get, make sure we get an understanding. Verse 8 says, exalt her and she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. She will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory she will deliver to you. So he doesn't just say what, but he says why. Here's why, because here's the benefits of wisdom. Saints, there's always a reward for obedience, and there's always consequences for rebellion. You don't escape either one. And so Solomon paints a picture of when we cherish wisdom, wisdom in turn will look glorious on us to those on the outside. Wisdom will serve as an admirable wardrobe and clothing to us. He says that when valued and obeyed, it will bring us security, honor, and beauty. Saints, people know when you wear very quality, expensive clothing, okay? I'm not one of those. I get my stuff at Ross. I'm okay with that. I get my stuff at TJ Maxx. I'm good. I don't wear the expensive stuff. But when you do, it's very, very noticeable. And Solomon's saying when you obey wisdom and, and cherish her, that relationship, it will be an admirable wardrobe on you. Like when you walk in and everyone looks and they see. You know, I remember back, this just came to me now, but I remember back when I went to the Baptist church, okay? So the ladies, I mean, they had these extravagant hats and dresses and the suits the men would wear. I mean, it was admirable. I'm not going to lie. It was a distraction, to be honest. You're worshiping and then the, hat, the, the hats come in, the zoot suits come in, right? It was admirable. I mean, it was admirable, but it was a distraction. But, it, but Solomon's saying, look, it's going to look marvelous on you. That wisdom is going to look phenomenal on you. People are actually going to think you're worth something, okay? They're actually going to think that. And the, for context, Isaiah 28, 5, God had become a glorious crown and a beautiful wreath for the Israelites. Solomon had personally experienced this when the queen of the south traveled when she heard about Solomon's wisdom. She traveled far to come see the wisdom of Solomon. And of course, you know the wisdom is really Jesus. And he steps on the scene and he says, guess what? A greater than Solomon is here. Jesus ultimately fulfills the Proverbs. Saints, it says, you will find favor with God and man when exercising godly wisdom. Jeremiah 8 says this, if we reject God's word, what wisdom do we have? Saints, we have to remember. So 
we deal with a lot of people. I mean, there's how many different religions, different faiths. I mean, we could, you know, Hinduism, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, Islam. I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but a lot of these people are born into these religions. They have not had much exposure to the truth of God's word. And so oftentimes when I speak and I talk to them, one of the questions I ask is, were you born into this? Because you know what that helps me understand is they really don't have any wisdom to go off of. They need exposure to the truth of God's word. And I remember an example a couple years ago, I was traveling. I gave a story a while ago. I was tra- we were traveling to, I was to Colorado to do Chris and Carolyn's wedding. And we stopped in this small town and ended up being in the heart of Utah, okay, Mormon country. And I literally a gas station, one pump. And I was maybe like two or three miles from being out of, you know, out of gas. And it was divine. God literally led us to this small little place. And I'm like, and I was in the mode like anybody I see is getting the word today, period. They're not escaping it. Um, they're getting it. And so I go into this small convenience store not realizing that I'm in Utah in a Mormon country, not even realizing it. And so I get to the cashier clerk and the first thing I ask her, you know, hey, are you, are you a believer? You go to church somewhere? Yeah, we go, we go right, up, right up church up the street, Latter-day Saints. I'm like, oh, okay, Mormon, okay. Um, so I ask, first question, you know, were you, were you born into it? So yes, I was. Okay, awesome. So I say, hey, just, just I want to know more about kind of what you believe, even though I was raised Mormon, I know what they believe. I want to know more about what you believe. I want to hear you tell me what it is, but can you help me understand how, Joseph Smith, you know, he gave this, this speech called, you know, uh, this discourse, and he said that we've imagined and supposed from all e- that God was God from all eternity. However, I refute that idea, pull the veil from your eyes. We must learn to become gods ourselves. Joseph Smith said that. I said, so Joseph says that, but the prophet Isaiah through the Holy Spirit says, I am the Lord and there is no other. Before me, no God was formed, neither will there be after me. I, I am the Lord and there is no other. So Joseph says that God's not eternal. God says that he is. Which one do I go by? And she was like, well, I said, so I said, let me help you out. I'm going to give you a very clear picture. So you have the book of Mormon and then you have the Holy scriptures. Which one do you go by? Well, I'd have to choose the book of Mormon saints. She had had no exposure to truth. So there was no wisdom for her to stand on. And so I knew right then and there, she doesn't accept this as the authoritative word of God. And right in the middle of that, someone else comes in. So I say, hold pause. So she was helping somebody else. And I give that same truth to another person who ends up being a Mormon too. He received it. When I gave that same parallel, I said, hey, Joseph says this. God's not eternal. God says he is. Who's right, God or Joseph? He said, you know what? You're right. The Bible does say that. And they gave that man something to ponder for. So I prayed for him, gave him my Calvary Chapel card, and had to go on the way. But the point of the matter is, is that if we reject God's wisdom, you have nothing to stand on. You have absolutely nothing to stand on. And saints, the reality of the gospel is if you don't find salvation in Christ alone, you will not find it anywhere else. Salvation is no other place. There's salvation in no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. The psalmist said, again, King David, 119, through thy precepts, I gain understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. In the gospels and Jesus spoke, you know what they said? We've never seen anyone speak with so much authority, with so much wisdom. Where did he get it from? It looks like a marvelous wardrobe on the Lord. I reflect oftentimes here when I 
countless families and teachers and students, and they, they praise me. I, I don't know why. They, you're just so wise. How do you have so much wisdom? I kind of feel bad because I really, I'm, I'm just plagiarizing. All I'm doing is just giving them, and mostly it's from Proverbs, on, on how they should handle their situation. Like, I never thought about that. Like, how did you know? And they're just like, and I'm, I'm just, it's, it's the word of God. It's, it's not me. But they look at me as this, this glorious young man with all this, these wise sayings, and they're just from the Bible. They're just, they're just, I'm just regurgitating what the word of God says, you know? And I'm like, I can't take the credit. I would love to. Like, the things sound great and wonderful and marvelous, and I would, I would really love to, to wear that. I would, but I, I can't because it comes literally from the word of God. We have to ask ourselves, saints, what does our wisdom say about us? Does what we say draw people to the Lord? Like Solomon to the queen or Jesus to all who spoke? Or how about the apostles? The Holy Spirit came, Acts, Acts uh, I believe, chapter 4, when it says that when they, after they spoke, they marveled and they said, you know what? These men have been with Jesus. They knew by the wisdom that was on them. Point number two, trusting in God's providence. Verse 10, your Bibles, you guys there? Sweet, praise God. He says, hear my son and receive my sayings and the years of your life will be many. I have taught you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in right paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hindered and when you run, you will not stumble. Take firm hold of instruction and do not let go. Keep her for she is your life. Now the providence of God, before I explain these verses, it's been said to trust the past to the mercy of God, to pre the present to the, the love of God, and the future to the providence of God. And it simply means foresight or makes provision. Let me give you guys an example. In the Bible, Queen Esther I don't know if you guys are familiar with that story. Is divinely God put her in a position where she would ultimately save the people of, of God of otherwise would have been completely destroyed. God's providence. Okay? You guys sitting right here, us sitting right here in this tent at Hillcrest is the providence of God. Is we were meeting in a synagogue in Calabasas, those who were with us then and now, COVID hit and then providentially the word got that this offered Hillcrest was offered. And we came, we started meeting here. Since then, Pastor Dave's wife, Lynette, got a job here at the school. I got the campus pastor position here at the school. If you guys know Chris Ramirez, teaches up here sometimes and helps with the youth and leads our, our young adults ministry, is a teacher and teaches Bible here now at the school. None of that would have happened, saints, if God had not providentially been here before us and knew that that was going to happen and paved the way for all of us to be here. Now, since us all being on this campus, by the grace of God, God used us. Last year, we had a baptism here at the school, first time ever they had one. Over 80 people made a profession of faith and were baptized up on that field. That's God's providence. It wasn't just student saints. We're talking about whole families, fathers and mothers and siblings and kids, making public professions of faith because God providentially outlined the path for us to be here. That is the providence of God. And so we need to trust that where God guides us, that he's already prepared the way 
for the plan and purpose for our lives. So in verse 10, we believe Solomon right now is ending his reiteration of what King David taught. And he's now giving instruction to his children from his words. And so he again to plead with his son, hear him, receive his sayings. Why? Because verse 10 says that the years of your life may be many. Very reminiscent, again, covenantal language. First commandment with promise, what? Children, obey your parents. Why? So that your days may be long in the land. How will your life be long? How, how in the world does obedience prolong your life? What, how? Well, avoiding the pitfalls of negligent and dangerous behavior. For me, I found that if I'm not out running around playing basketball with teenagers, I don't mess up my knee again, okay? That helps, is when I avoid things I shouldn't be doing, okay? Unhealthy lifestyles, life of addiction, fornication, reckless living, all lead to premature death and calamity of not only those who practice it, but also those who are around it. How many times do we have what we call self-inflicted wounds? Unnecessary things that did not have to happen. Saints, we live in a country that slaughters babies in the womb by the hundreds of thousands. That does not need to happen. But in the name of I want to have sex with whoever I want, whenever I want, and not have to deal with the consequences, okay, those are unnecessary pitfalls of negligent and dangerous behavior. Saints, parents who use foul and abusive language around their kids, abuse alcohol, commit adultery, idolatry in the home, violent, inappropriate entertainment, it impacts the children and the family. Solomon says, when you obey my commands, it would add years to your life and prevent unnecessary and premature death at the extreme. Saint, I found personally that when I drive the speed limit or the flow of traffic, follow safety guidelines, pray before I act, exercise self-control, I run into less problems. How about you? When I pray every day of my life, when I pray before I say things and act, I found that I run to less self-inflicted issues and I handle myself better. How about when we're angry, saints? Is it best to probably not say anything? Probably not act? Be angry and do not sin, the Bible says. Saints, that wisdom that you show defines you. It's your identity. This is why Jesus said wisdom is justified by their children. The religious leaders claimed to have wisdom, but yet they rejected the very personification of wisdom standing in front of them. And saints, I pray that that would not be us. Saints, your outline, God is loving, God in his loving providence directs us and prepares the path for us. When he says, I have taught you in the way of wisdom, I have led you in right paths, when you walk, your steps will not be hindered, and when, when you walk, your steps will not be hindered, and when you run, you will not stumble. Take firm hold of instruction. Do not let it go. Keep her, for she is your life. Solomon said, I've led you in the right path by teaching you wisdom. This path is a clear path for your feet, so your steps will not be hindered, and when you run, you will not stumble. Saints, this is how you prepare for your children's future is you teach them the right path, which way to go. And so I, I know 
Um, I think about a, a bike path or a hike, a path that you need to go, even on the road. If you guys know it's driving on the freeway, have you guys ever noticed things on the freeway? A, a, a rubber tire, right? Things that fall off of people's trunks. How hard is that drive to make? A lot of times you have to swerve. I notice I have to swerve or I'll see another car swerve. That becomes a dangerous path when there's obstacles in the way. That becomes a, a dangerous path that hinders where you're going. Solomon's instructing his kid in the right path where those obstacles are not going to be in the way. Saints, I think about the path, something very simple, alcohol, right? Very debated in the church. Well, oh, I'm not getting drunk. I could take a sip, you know, all those things. Not a sin, but I'll tell you this. There's a lot, and I mean a lot of warnings in Scripture about it. A lot of warnings. So many that it's really not a clear path. So for me, it's not a clear path to drink at all. If I never drink it, I never get drunk. I never cause anyone to stumble. I never make ungodly decisions while under its influence. Saints, it's been said that he who would not fall down ought not walk in slippery places. Saints, Solomon is setting out a clear path that is not slippery, that is firm for us to walk. He says it's very, very important to life and death manner. Verse 14 through 17 says this, do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they do not sleep unless they've done evil, and their sleep is taken away unless they've made someone else fall. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. So he contrasts two paths. Now, why is, why is, why is Solomon saying this? He got this from the Lord. Maybe Solomon's been down that path, saw other people go down that path, and God knows certain paths are not healthy for us. God knows certain decisions are not good for us. And so he outlines the path before us ahead of time. We just need to obey it. Saints, God doesn't direct his children if we're walking in darkness. God's direction is not in the dark path. The Bible says his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. If you're in darkness, you don't have that. Saints, the fool does not see the connection between foolish behavior and destructive consequences. May that not be us. Verse 16 insinuates that they're addicted to evil. The Bible says it's a sport for a foolish person to sin. They can't stop. That's what they do. I think about Psalm 1. Do not stand in the way of sinners. Do not go in the path of the ungodly. Do not sit in the way of scoffers. And there's a progression, right? They're, they're walking, they're standing, and then they're sitting in the path of sinners. Brad Huddleston, who's the author of Video Cocaine, okay? Video Cocaine because when you are so entrenched in electronics and, game, and screen time and all that, he said it's equivalent to taking two lines of cocaine and what it does to your brain. Well, Brad Huddleston said, the most ignored verse in the Bible is 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Bad company ruins character. Why? Because most of us will vet our children's friends, but not their influences. Countless hours of unmonitored screen time, video game time, playing music, and entertainment 
And so, saints, we have to ask the question, can a man set fire to his pants and not be burned? A little leaven leavens the whole lump. There is a way that seems right, but the end thereof is death. And so, saints, there is a path here, and he outlines it very clearly. Proverbs 1, here's the progression. Solomon says, do not consent to sinners when they entice you. Do not walk in the way with them. Their feet run to evil. Proverbs 2, they speak perverse things. They leave the path of righteousness in order to walk in darkness. They rejoice in doing evil and delight in the wicked. Their ways are crooked and devious in their path. Proverbs 3, they withhold good from their neighbor. They devise evil against their neighbor. They strive without cause. Choose none of their ways. Why over and over and over and over? Because repetition is the father of learning. And practice makes permanence. A loving father, as God does us, will constantly repeat himself regarding ungodly fellowship. Saints, when we walk outside of God's provision, we're outside of God's protection. If you want to be outside of God's loving hand and care, just walk outside of his will. Walk outside of protection. Young men, young ladies, you want to be outside of the hand of God? Just ignore what he says. You want to be outside of his divine protection for your life? Walk in the path of the wicked. Saints, behind every compromise is a volcano of chaos waiting to erupt. There's this poem regarding compromise. I'll read it quickly. It says, it's called All the Water in the World. All the water in the world, however hard it tried, could not sink the smallest ship unless it gets inside. All the evil in the world, the blackest kind of sin, can never hurt you in the least unless you let it in. And so it talks about compromise being that gateway to destruction. One compromise at a time, saints. King David stopped going to war, started being lazy, sleep until noon, Bathsheba on the deck. Started with one small compromise. Samson ate the honey, drank from the vineyard, give me Delilah. Right? One compromise at a time. Saints, choose your friends and your influences wisely. Some more questions for you. Do they love Jesus as much or more than you? Do they inspire you to grow closer to the Lord or further away? How about this? Do they go to church? Are they seeking to grow in their relationship with the Lord? Do they challenge you when you're going off track with your walk? Iron sharpens iron. Verse 18 and 19, but the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines even brighter into the perfect day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They don't know what makes them stumble. So he says the path of the just. These are those who have been made right with God. That's why I tell the message, the path of the just. Solomon says wisdom is progressive like the soft light of dawn growing into full midday brightness. This is our sanctification, saints. This is how we grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. The path that we progressively walk reveals who we are serving. So on to point number three quickly. I will finish, praise God. 
A review. When we walk outside of God's provision, we are outside of his protection. God in his loving providence directs us and prepares the path for us. Last point, obeying God's will, guarding our hearts. Here's what he said. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Repeats verse one. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart for they are life to those who find them and health to all your flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence for out of it springs the issues of life. Keep your heart means to guard, watch over, guard from dangers. It means the inner man, the will. It's been said that the heart is the command center of your life. The Bible warns us to avoid a double heart, a hard heart, a proud heart, an unbelieving heart, a cold heart, an unclean heart. Psalm 24 correlates clean heart, clean hands, and a pure heart are linked together because what we do is what we are. Saints, the battle starts in our minds. What do you look at? What are you watching? What are you listening to? The Bible says the eyes are the, the, the gate to the soul. Out of abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He says, put away from you a deceitful mouth and perverse lips far from you. Saints, we should not be, have perverse speech. They don't just, oops, my bad. It's what's inside your heart that's coming out. We should not be speaking evil things. It's been said that we wear our, our hearts on our sleeves. The Bible says we wear our hearts in our speech. What you say reflects what you meditate on. What is in the well of the heart will come out of the bucket of the mouth. Ouch! He says, let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids right before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Let your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or the left. Remove your foot from evil. The psalmist said, again, King David, verse uh, Psalm 119, so much gold in there. Keep my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me according to your word. Saints, many teens, many people, the age is about nine or 10 now. They say 80% of kids fall to pornography starting at age nine by what they watch. That simple. And it shows no partiality. It's no respecter of persons. It's ruining every class of people from pastors to poor to rich. Doesn't matter how fluent you are, but it's ruining and reckoning entire lives and families and ministries simply by not guarding our eyes. I look at Job. 31, he says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look at another maiden. We should make a covenant with our eyes. How about our feet? He says, ponder the path of your feet. Meditate and think carefully on your choices. And he says, do not look to the right or the left. Why? We found out in Genesis 4 that sin is always knocking at your door. And guess who sin's desire is for you and me to destroy us. Because the enemy is a prowling lion seeking whom he can devour. He says, do not turn to the right or left. Remove your foot from evil. That is obeying God's will, saints. His will for us is to delight ourselves in him. And it says he'll give us the desires of our heart. Knowing his will, we must give our lives as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable, which is our reasonable service. And saints, as I conclude, I want to give a quick story about the providence of God. As you guys know, my wife, my lovely wife, is pregnant with our sixth 
child. Praise God. Amen. Um, but eight years ago, and this is God's providence, eight years ago, um, we were, she was pregnant with our third kid, and there was cancerous cells in her uterus. And they were saying that she's going to, after this third baby, that she's going to need to get a hysterectomy so that these cancer cells don't spread. And I remember us talking and saying, you know, we're going to pray about it. We're going to see God. And so we prayed about it, had our third baby, Janessa, and went back to the doctor. And the doctor found zero, and I mean zero, cancerous cells. Okay, fast forward three babies later. Okay, the third baby, yeah, you're not going to have no more. You need to cut it, right? We seek God, God's providence. We're now on our third baby. And we thought our last baby was going to be a boy, and we already had a name picked out. The name was Josiah. It wasn't a boy, okay? God knows, though. This baby, we found out by God's grace that it is a boy, and we are going to name him Josiah. Well, I don't know if you guys know, but Josiah's name means Jehovah heals. Jehovah heals. My wife was healed by the Lord, and now our third baby from when we were told we weren't going to have any more, and it's a boy, and his name is Jehovah heals. That is the providence of Almighty God. Amen? And we can trust in him, the path of the just. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much uh, for your word. We thank you so much for your providence, the path that you've set before us. We thank you, Lord, that it is you who goes before us and you prepare the way for us. We thank you, O oh God, that we're not alone. And we thank you for such a great salvation. And Lord, I pray that there's anyone under the sound of my voice that does not know you, that today would be the day of salvation, that they would not continue to walk in darkness, that they would not be hopeless, but that this Christmas, that they would celebrate the birth of hope, that Lord, you loved us so much that you did not want us to spend eternity separated from you. So you sent your son, your only begotten, to be the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so, Lord, you are not far away. You're near each and every one of us. And there is salvation and no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So, Lord, we commit this to your trust and we pray that they will call upon you. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your grace. In Jesus' holy name we pray and the saints said, amen. 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 Let's worship.